Hello, and welcome to Modern MedEd, an APGO podcast where we will focus on trending topics in medical education. I'm Dr. Chris Morosky, Associate Professor and Vice Chair for Education at the University of Connecticut School of Medicine, and your host. I'm joined by three of my APGO member colleagues to explore this season's topic, equity and the hidden curriculum. I'm Dr. Leslie Hardy-Hood, Assistant Residency Program Director at the Kaiser Permanente Oakland OBGYN Residency Program. I'm Dr. Renee Morales, an Assistant Professor and M3 Co-Clerkship Director at the Eastern Virginia Medical School. And I'm Dr. Faye Kai, a third-year Maternal Fetal Medicine Fellow at the University of Pennsylvania. This season of Modern Mid-Ed, an APCO podcast, was made possible by an unrestricted educational grant from Bayer Healthcare Pharmaceuticals. Thank you. All right, everybody. We're so glad that you could join us. Now let's get down with today's episode. Hello, and welcome to Modern MedEd, an APGO podcast. We are back with another really great topic for today's episode. I am joined by co-host Dr. Leslie Hardy-Hood from Kaiser Oakland OB-GYN Residency Program. Dr. Hardy-Hood, hello and welcome. Hi, Dr. Morawski. So good to be here. So everybody, Dr. Hardy-Hood and I go way back to the beginning of this podcast, and we are friends and colleagues, so we will be referring to each other by our first names for this episode and going forward. That sounds perfect. Thank you, Chris. Leslie, the title of today's episode is Holistic Review, an Expert Primer in Reducing Implicit Bias. Now, we are sort of approaching rankless time in this application cycle, but I feel like anybody who's involved in the residency application process is going to be able to take a lot out of this episode today, any time of the year. Absolutely. I think this podcast and the material in this episode is relevant to anyone involved in education, whether that be undergrad medical education or graduate medical education, because it really gets to the center of what our mission is and what we want to do, which is to look at the whole applicant. And that means intentionally dissecting, understanding, and creating a class of doctors and future persons in medicine that really are adept and the right people to take care of the community which they live in and which they serve. That's awesome. So I believe that you have brought an amazing interview to the episode today, and I'm really excited to hear more about it. Yes. I interviewed Dr. Laura Minical, who is the program director of the Kaiser Oakland OBGYN residency program. And over the many years, Dr. Minical has become an expert, actually an innovator in the principles of holistic application review. That's great, Leslie. Um, before we get started, I think everybody has somewhat of an understanding of implicit bias, but can you go into a little bit more detail about what we mean by implicit bias? So first, it's helpful to think about bias. So bias is prejudice in favor or against one thing, a person or a group, if you compare them with another. And so usually it's in a way, though, that is considered or results in something that's unfair. So then when we think about implicit bias, that is actually a bias in judgment or behavior that results from a subtle cognitive process that we're not really thinking about. It's below our conscious awareness. 
and without intentional control, but it has really big impact. In my first question to Laura, I asked her explicitly about implicit bias in letters of recommendation and how that might show up. I think, as you said, we see it. It's everywhere. And I'm in an OBGYN residency program that's predominantly female. And so a lot of the letters of recommendation that I'm reviewing are about female applicants. And I think what I see most frequently is the use of communal characteristics to describe female applicants. So caring, kind, sweet, often showing up in letters of recommendation. I think that's what is most common that I see. In a similar vein, I asked Dr. Menicle to tell us more about language that feels othering that she's seen in either letters of recommendation or the applications. And here's what she had to say. This is a tough question. I think it's tough because often it can come across as very positive. I think it's when someone speaks to someone else or someone else's background in voyeuristic terms in terms that are not specifically related to or don't translate to how they might be uniquely qualified to do the job. But that's difficult because it can come across as positive sometimes. Okay, Leslie. So what I'm hearing from Dr. Minical is that implicit bias and othering language is inherently baked into the residency application and application review process. Did she have anything to say about ways we can reduce the impact of these things on this process. Yes, and Laura has spent years honing and developing her expertise around finding this in applications and eliminating that influence. And so the answer to that that she and the rest of the team have come to is doing a holistic application review. Here's what she had to say about that. Our program philosophy around the holistic review and trying to decrease implicit bias really is a program level, meaning we thought about this as program leadership. We thought about this involving our residents and essentially came to this idea that for us, holistic review is the way to achieve our program mission. And our program's mission is to advance women's health care and health equity through multiple avenues, including the intentional recruitment of a diverse class of residents and retention of underrepresented minority physicians in medicine with the ultimate goal to provide excellent care to the diverse Oakland community. We work to do this through holistic review and it's one tool and holistic review is important, but it's not just the review. It's thinking about valuing each individual part of the applicant's application and looking also at the overall picture and how the overall picture could have been influenced by certain things. As an example, a family member passes away, someone is working through medical school and seeing the application through that lens, it looks different, it's weighted differently. And nothing becomes a quick yes or a quick no. There is no set score that becomes a cutoff. And then Laura went on to directly speak to how holistic review significantly decreases implicit bias. That's tricky, I can imagine, because there's in some ways oppositional. A, a true holistic review, you have all the information, you know 
did this applicant have to work through medical school? Did this applicant have some sort of structural oppression or racism during medical school? So you have the entire picture to do a true holistic review. And yet, if you're trying to decrease or limit bias in as much as you can, in some ways, taking away that information can be helpful. So blinding your application reviewers can be really helpful. And so in some ways, they're oppositional. And we do have a structure that helps us blind reviewers and have them review the majority of their assigned part of the application in a blinded manner, and then take a step back and look at that application also holistically. Oh, wow, Leslie. I really like how Dr. Minical talks about this holistic review process at your residency program. She really takes it beyond what I hear a lot of holistic review being more of a buzzword and has it into a real robust process that I feel like is making impactful changes. Did she go into any examples of how your residency program holistic review has made impact on something, say, like diversity? Yes. Dr. Minical first just speaks about the process and how this has been developed and created over many years and how it's actually resulted in a much more diverse residency program. And she also talks about the data that we have from our program. I think it's allowed us to focus and keep coming back to our mission and to also think about diversity in different aspects. What does diversity mean? How can we increase diversity along many different avenues? And I think it's also pushed us to identify our own individual biases and become more comfortable calling them out and seeing them, thinking about program level biases, which do exist, and thinking about it for others as well, meaning the person who wrote the letter and the people who are potentially reaching out on behalf of applicants and what their individual biases may be. And then looking at our program each year, this is not a rigid situation. This is something fluid. We have a class graduating, we have a new class coming in. And so what can this program benefit from today is different than what it was last year, and it's different from what it will be next year. So how do we continually add and build on the diversity of our group? And it's made a really open dialogue with our team, our program leadership, and our residents. And then if we look at data or numbers, we've done this, we look at the year before implementing holistic review in a very intentional way. And we had four out of 16 of our residents, or 25%, were identify, self-identified as URIM. And if you look at our resident cohort today, 15 of 24, or 63% of our current residents identify as URIM. And then I asked her to take us into a, a deeper dive of the holistic application review process and how it impacts evaluation of both the letters of recommendation and the Medical Student Performance Evaluation, better known as the MSPE. We needed to become more intentional. I think you know, I've been in my role for 15 years and have been thinking about this for 16, having been an assistant program director for a year. And when we started to think about how can we do this very intentionally, one of the first things that we did was to recruit a very diverse team of application reviewers so that you had different lenses looking at the same application, so that you had different voices at the table, and that you also had different biases that were in play. I think that makes us a better team to review the applications. And then as that diverse team, we thought about what characteristics and traits are we seeking in the people we're trying to recruit. 
what phrases or words can we look at in the MSPE or the letters of recommendation? And then we created a score or ranking system. And that also is fluid. That ranking system is something that we share as a group. And sometimes even during interview season, we'll tweak and say, okay, well, I'm considering this a 1.5 and I'm considering this, you know, 1.25. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then <laughs> we try to keep it on the 0.5, but every once in a while we go to the 0.25. So we talked about our diverse application review team and our shared scoring system. And then we reviewed how we handle applicants from the same school. And then reviewing all applicants from one school together, because we've also learned over the years that you will see trends that certain schools will write, particularly letters of recommendation. You know, this school writes very strong letters for all of their applicants. And this school tends to write letters that we would score lower based on our rubric. And we need to be aware of that because we're trying to compare students from different schools. And if their school at a baseline writes a different level, isn't the right word, but a a letter that we would rank differently, then we need to be aware of that. And then we keep all of our scores on a shared grid that's happening real time so that everybody on the team can look and say, oh, Dr. Minicle scored this letter of recommendation as the highest score. I want to read what that looks like from her viewpoint. And they can think, yes, I would have scored that the same, or I would have scored that very differently that then can open a conversation and also can lead to things being scored differently, which I think is really helpful. It also can lead us ourselves to go back like, okay, I scored this very high or I scored this one really low. I'm going to go back and reread this in a day or two and see if that score holds true. So Leslie, up until this point in your interview, we have been hearing a lot from Dr. Minicole specifically about the holistic application review process. But did you talk about professional development or continuing education for your faculty that participate in your application reviews? Absolutely. Laura's going to talk more about that. And I can also add that we make sure that all of our faculty are engaged and familiar with the concepts of cultural humility. This is based on the learnings and teachings of Dr. Melanie Tervalon and Jan Murray Garcia. And it really focuses on the overarching themes of self-reflection, humility, and using these techniques to reduce implicit bias. We put our team members through implicit bias training. And we try to normalize bias, really having, again, an open conversation about what is our individual bias, but also being comfortable calling other people out on their biases. And kind of famously, our maternity director has always said, if you have a brain, you have bias. Yes. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And then kind of using bias as a vital sign check. So before you sit down to review applications that you really do self-reflect and think about before filling this out, what unconscious thought patterns or what kind of space am I in? And really trying to be thoughtful about going into reviewing that letter. And then having that rubric that you consistently go back to, like what really is a 1.5 versus a 2, you know, when I'm scoring letters, what does that really look like that can help with consistency? And then like you said, that double check both yourself and looking at other people's scores 
to try to find consistency for your oil scoring as well as how that lines up with other people. And then last, I think for those areas that we really want to focus on, we have at least two people review. So with the CV, we have two reviewers so they can act as a checks and balances. We have three people reviewing letters of recommendation. We have two people reviewing MSPE. Mm-hmm. Again, in, in an effort to have more eyes on the same area of the application. In addition to the faculty training that Laura described, she also gave us some really great resources that can be used to decrease implicit bias, both from the standpoint of writing and reviewing letters of recommendation. Over the years, I've read as much as I could get my hands on about this, and I think there are a lot of great articles out there. I think what is helpful to have a quick reference, the University of Arizona and UCSF and Lehigh University all have really helpful one to two page guidelines. And there is a gender bias calculator out of the UK, which is informative and interesting. I like putting my letters of recommendation through it because I'll often find something that I didn't expect. And yet I struggle with this because guidelines and checklists can be really helpful in the short term and certainly as a touchstone to uncover inconsistencies and judgments and push us to reflect. But I don't think they're nearly enough. And sometimes I hesitate to agree with some of the guidelines, meaning if we're not aware about these biases and how they work and function in us and in others, and we are using this checklist without reflecting, then I'm worried that we may actually be keeping those biases in play. Leslie, this is a whole new way for me to be thinking about this. So there's these amazing online tools that can be helpful in the holistic review process, but the entire thing cannot be oversimplified to solely a gender bias calculator. Yeah, and Dr. Minical goes on to give us some common concrete examples of how implicit bias can creep into these letters. As an example, if I have a female physician and she's very gifted in her ability to be caring and to kind of go above and beyond. And I want to highlight that in her letter of recommendation, but I avoid it because this list has told me to avoid that term, caring. Then am I enacting a bias in a different way? Am I denying someone a valued trait based on a stereotype or an identity? And the next step to that, when I'm writing letters of recommendation, I often also wonder about the reader on the other end because they have biases and I'm either relying on the fact that they have checked their bias and they're taking time to really review and think about these things. Or I sometimes will think if I'm writing this letter of recommendation for a woman of color who is incredibly strong resident, who's ambitious and confident, if I'm using those words, how are they going to land on the person on the other end? I don't know of their biases and I don't know where they are in this work. I wish the guidelines and checklists were the answer, right? But I think it's so much deeper and there's so much more. We're we're still far away from where we need to be. So, Leslie, transitioning from the faculty, did you and Dr. Minical talk about any specific advice for our learners or our residents when requesting these letters of recommendation? Absolutely. She has some great guidelines and practical advice for learners. I usually 
tell them to write a bio and then share that with their letter writers. And the reason that I do that is to act as a guide to the letter writer regarding what aspects that person is seeking from the letter writer. What do they want emphasized? What do they want highlighted? What parts of their background are they comfortable sharing or unique characteristics are they comfortable sharing? And even what language do they use that can help guide the letter writer as well. I also will challenge my residents, particularly who come to me with this, to think about who can highlight each of those characteristics. Who are you going to ask to highlight your surgical skill set? Who will you ask to highlight your ability to run teams and have high situational awareness and handle emergencies? And which characteristics of this list are important to you? And then being very direct in asking the letter writers, can you please highlight this certain skill or strength of mine? And I think for me, that may be a little easier because we're in a 24-person residency program where the faculty really know the residents well, the residents know the faculty well, and can feel comfortable doing that. But I think that can be a very powerful tool is to have some direction, and it gives autonomy and agency to the person asking for the letter. As we rounded out our interview, Laura shared five great tips for faculty when writing bias-free letters in support of our learners. The answer to this question has been developed over years, and certainly with a lot of intention, reading, and thought that has gone into this. And yet, at the same time, I know that there are many more good tips and tricks out there. My top five would be, number one, to use a general template that addresses consistent topics. So for you as the letter writer, what are those things that you want to touch on for each of your applicants, each of the people you're writing a letter for? For me, surgical skills, medical knowledge, communication with patients, family, scholarly activity. And the reason that I do that is, first of all, so nothing is inadvertently missed, but also kind of goes to my second point, which is keeping the length of the letter generally consistent. I usually write, believe it or not, a two-page letter for most of my residents, and just having this template helps me visually to be able to see, am I overemphasizing a certain area or not emphasizing an, an area enough? You can visibly see it in your letter. And then the third tip would be to keep interpersonal skills balanced with other skills and accomplishments, like particularly when you're writing letters for people that identify as cisgender female, we tend to use communal adjectives a lot more often than we do with people who identify as cisgendered male applicants. And so being aware of that. And then my fourth would be to focus on accomplishments and not effort. The kind of classic that I think we all need to be aware of is hardworking because it really puts the emphasis on this person was trying, they're very hardworking, but it doesn't get to what did they accomplish with that effort? What was the outcome of that effort? And then my fifth is something that I personally like to do, which is I either have someone known and close to me that knows the applicant that can read the letter and can point out to me what's being left out. Is this imbalanced somehow? Am I leaning toward interpersonal skills too much? And if I don't have that person available, what I actually do is I replace the name of my resident with Dr. Scott Johnson so replacing with someone of the majority culture, majority gender, and how does it read? Because it helps me kind of pinpoint areas that I might need to work on for that letter. 
to make it what I really want it to be. Leslie, I really like the way this interview wrapped up. I love these top five tips from Dr. Minical. I feel like there's some real practical advice here that letter writers can use to decrease the amount of bias that's occurring in our letters of recommendation. Absolutely. And I'd sincerely like to thank Dr. Laura Minical for her candor and sharing her expertise. Personally, I have participated in holistic application review for several years, and yet I've gleaned even more ways I can improve and support my learners and applicants going forward just from this interview. Leslie, thank you so much for being an amazing co-host today and for bringing this great interview. I'd also like to thank Dr. Medical for being our guest here on this episode. We look forward to bringing you more great deep dives into medical education in upcoming episodes. You've been listening to Modern Med Ed, an APCO podcast. Visit the Modern Med Ed page on APCO's website where you can learn more about our show and let us know what topics you'd like to hear about for next season. A big thank you to Bayer Healthcare Pharmaceuticals for providing the unrestricted educational grant that makes this season of Modern Med Ed possible. Modern Med Ed is an APCO original podcast. The Association of Professors of Gynecology and Obstetrics, better known as APCO, represents academic obstetrician gynecologists in the U.S. and Canada. APCO offers contemporary, practical teaching tools for physician educators and learning mechanisms for faculty, students, and residents with the ultimate goal of providing optimum healthcare to women. Modern Med Ed is hosted by me, Dr. Chris Borowski, and co-hosted by Dr. Leslie Hardy-Hood, Dr. Renee Morales, and Dr. Faye Kai. It's produced by Caitlin Harrington and Heather Houston of Jesperson & Associates. Sound designed by John O'Brien, original music composed, performed, and co-produced by Tipkins and Hood, and co-produced and engineered by Dana Big Dane Johnson at the Cove Studio. The Modern Med Ed logo was designed by Alyssa Saravian. Special thanks to APCO podcast enthusiasts, Executive Director Molly Georgiakis, and Deputy Director of Development Miriam Poe for helping us kickstart this podcast journey. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, stay groovy in medical education.